Blog Talk Radio. Mission Hill, and you know I was a basketball player myself. I, I played 
um, at Fair Academy, a uh, great high school program right outside of Boston. Then I played um, at Skidmore College, um, and then I played a little bit professionally overseas. And I came back to Boston, and, and I got involved. Um, I got involved in, in uh, finance. I was in finance for a few years, and then I, I basically, you know, just kind of figured. Um, even though I was actually, you know, I kind of left at, at the top, you could say. I mean, I, I, I was having quite a bit of success doing that, and um, I wanted to. I, I've always been very, you know, very creative person and, and very interested in, you could say. Um, more intellectual and artistic matters. So I just kind of like left the, the, the finance world and kind of over the past few years have been, have been pursuing and trying to find my place really more in um, the creative world. And I, I, I exactly. think um, and that's the part that I think that's the part of you. That's the part of the story. I mean, it's, it's totally connected from my perspective and it's what I'm going through and what I've noticed my entire life, you know, trying to figure out this puzzle of, you know, what are we really here for? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we touched on it the other day. Eventually, it is my belief and my, my total conviction at this point, eventually the higher part of you, the soul, your soul is going to come here to do what it came here to do. And that seems to be what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would agree with that, absolutely. I, I, I think that, you know, people, the, the development of of a person is a project, um, and, and it's a project that a person engages in upon their life. And, and I, I think the best projects are the ones that change numerous times because, you know, the self, at least in my opinion, it's a fluid thing. It's, it's not a fixed thing. It's something that continually develops and continually grows and continually changes based upon its interaction with the social world, based upon its internal dialogue, based upon a variety of other factors genetic factors as well, you know. So I think exactly. that um, I think the development of personhood um, is something that we kind of figure out. And, you know, I, I think in a world that we live in, which is, you know, highly um, bureaucratized and, and now highly digitized, I, I think a lot of people lose that and a lot of people kind of um, fall into kind of a state of apathy, you would say, about, about um, get their potential. One of my, of, right, it's, it's one of my passions. You know, that I, I try to wake people up, you know, and not for my own sake, but to say, hey, listen, there's this fantastic world out there, and you're this amazingly powerful creation that can create powerful things for yourself, including your lifestyle and your art, your, your whatever it is that you want to express. Yeah. You know, yeah. you and I, I mean, in seconds, this was apparent to me sitting there with you and watching the pride with which you opened that screen. And you know, you looked at your baby, and yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you, and that's you have the, I mean, you know, that's that's what I want to talk about today, really, because you know, this this is you know, I'm, I'm currently this this is my first film, and I, I have two other ones that I'm starting to work on. That you know, this this is what I want to do, you know, and and I think the mission um, is something that I'm very I'm very passionate about for a number of reasons. Um, number one, because one of the subjects of the film is a personal friend of mine. And also, I love basketball, and I, I think also um, there's a lot of Boston history in the film. You know, I, I think the film is not really about necessarily about basketball. It's much more about the story of a neighborhood, and you just tell it through the eyes of basketball, and you tell it through the eyes of two brothers that kind of, you know, we'll get into this, but they kind of represent um, the kind of 
um, they represent the cultural dynamics of, of the Mission Hill basketball community almost perfectly. I mean, almost. I mean, it was almost like their their representation of what happened. I'm referring to the Turner brothers right now, um, um, and we'll get into this, you know, further so I can explain for more in depth. Right. No, it was they so, really so, kind of like a microcosm. Yeah. Was one successful, one not, or was? Yes. Yes. So, so basically, you know, the the film, as I said, it centers around the development of the basketball culture and and what you had in Mission Hill. Uh, because of a variety of factors, which I'd like to talk about at some point in this show, um, the basketball, the, the overall situation in Mission Hill was, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s for about a three-decade three decade period, um, one of unbelievable isolation, poverty, um, you know, just integrated with, you know, crime, and, you know, just all of the archetypal form that we used to associate, not anymore, with the inner city. These things that were, these things were absolutely ingrained in the Mission Hill consciousness, in the Mission Hill life, and this translated into the basketball culture, where you basically had, so to speak, this imaginary line in the sand, where you had a tremendous amount of um, unbelievably gifted athletes in Mission Hill. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, right, athletes, right there, I want to ask... Was it environment that created them, or was it the innate talent, or a combination of both? Well, I think I think it's always both, no matter what. I don't think I don't think any innate talent, whether it's piano or basketball or football or or being a politician, is created totally uh, innately. I, I think there's always an interaction with your environment, and I think that environment, that interaction, is essentially the creative, you know, juice that allows that innate brought forth. That, is the, that, that interaction with the field is essentially the core that's, that, that is struck that brings forth the talent. So in Michigan, exactly. you absolutely. Had, you know, when it was within seconds, we were talking about consciousness the other day. And so, you know, there was a certain, there's obviously, there's a certain basketball consciousness and everything else that goes with it in terms of competitive and, you know, the street toughness, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that obviously that whole environment fostered. There's no question about it. There's absolutely no question about it that, that competition um, was in- incredibly important. You know, and, you know, just, just that ability to win, you know what I mean? Because you, you, you saw so much loss around you on, on a daily basis. Right. I mean, you, you, were sur- you were surrounded by loss whether it be yep. economic, whether it be social, whether it be academic, whether relational. I mean, you, you were surrounded by loss. Yep. So I think the ability to win, you know, and that's really what it was, the ability to win was incredibly important in that community. And, and just getting back to what I was saying, this, this dividing line in the culture, you had, I mean, you know, Mission Hill has produced six NBA players. And after this mm-hmm. year, when Shabazz Napier is drafted, there'll be seven. Um, wow. And on the other side of the coin, and not just – seven NBA players, you have this unbelievable line of high school stars, college, you know, I mean, just this line of organized, successful players. And then on the other side, you have just this, you know, someone maybe even more talent on the other side that became, you know, drug dealers, hustlers. Yep, yep, yep. You know, this, you, that you know I, um, being a salesman, well, you're an entrepreneur, or were, you know, you are an entrepreneur. If you're making films, you're an entrepreneur. And you have a, a yoga studio, so you're an entrepreneur. And 
you know, there, with all of the evil associated with drugs and everything else, uh, if you look underneath it, that those individuals are very have a, an amazing skill set for business. Yeah, I mean, oh, there's yeah. a lot of you know, oh, this, oh, you know, it is a business. It's it's you know that's actually a really re- really funny. Um, I was interviewing. And I never thought of this, and this was so brilliant. Um, John Jackson, who is he's the director of the Tobin School of the community. Um, he, he's a program director at at the Tobin School. He's a community leader in Mission Hill. He played Division One basketball at Alabama State. Great guy. Uh, part of this film. He said something so fascinating that I never thought about before. I was interviewing when he was talking about other side of the basketball spectrum. And he, he, he talked about how a lot of the great basketball players were just naturally good at selling drugs and, and, and hustling because they knew how to compete. They knew how to win. Yep. You know what I mean? So yep. they got off the court and they got on the block, and all of a sudden these guys were like the ones making the most money, driving the best cars, because yep. they, cause they, cause they knew how to win. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think basketball, and any sport for that matter, you know, it teaches kids how to win, and it teaches kids how to compete, and it teaches kids how to be great. And, you know, obviously the application of, you know, selling drugs probably isn't the best one. But, I mean, you know, you, you find a lot in life um, that great athletes, or even athletes in general, and not even necessarily athletes, people who compete, right, they become successful in other endeavors because they know what it takes to use the skills they learned, whether it be on the basketball court or playing chess or anything, they, they know how to translate that into effective action. And I, I never it, thought it takes, about that. Well, they, they learn discipline. And also, I mean, there's the competitive part, but there's also the teamwork part. Absolutely, yeah. All those things are kind of inter, interrelated. There's no question about it. You know, I mean, if they're going to sell drugs, then they've got to have a network of people to, uh, you know, to work with. They don't. You know, they, they won't last long alone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, for but, sure. that's for But sure. I always admired that part that um, these kids are hustling. I mean, they're using cell phones, they're making contacts. And I'm not to, doing it to extol the virtues of drugs, but I'm saying that on the oh, they, they didn't have any. I mean, they, they didn't have anything. I mean, like, you know, I would have sold drugs too. And I, I, I reflected on, on that quite a bit that if I grew up in Mission Hill with the personality of, of who I am as a person, and, and, I'm, and I'm the type of person that, you know, seeks out danger, I like, you know, excitement, I like, you know, breaking the rules, you know, this is something that's always been part of my personality, there is, and I love basketball, there is absolutely no question for me that if I grew up in Mission Hill, I would have been drawn to the other side of things. You know, there, there, yep. there's just no question. So I think that when you um, grow up in an environment and you are surrounded by so you, you, you become your environment. You know, so exactly. a, a lot like so when you're growing up and all you see is drug dealers and, and crime and poverty and what do you think is gonna happen to you? I mean, it's exactly. it's not even a, a I mean, so like the guys that made it out, like for instance Wayne Turner, he was just one of those incredibly strong minded individuals that said, you know something, I'm not I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna go that way. And you know, you gotta give someone like that a lot of credit. Oh, I mean, oh. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be like growing up in, I mean, it would almost be like growing up in a family where everyone spoke French and you said, I'm not going to learn French. You know what I mean? But you're <laughs> surrounded by it all day. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it, it's, it's pretty amazing that he was able to transcend, and not just him, you know, Jimmy Walker and Ron Jackson and, and Mark Wade, and, you know, you can name 30 names off the top of my head, 
of guys that went on, Will Blaylock, you know, guys that went on um, and had great success. You know, they were able to kind of miss out on a huge part of their environment that they that they were part of, you know, and that is pretty amazing. Sure, it is. It's a miracle. So, um, so how you know that's that's the the overall picture of it, but your your uh, interest peaked or sparked with what the fact that you knew you encountered one of the the guys from Mission yeah, Hill. Yeah, so one one of the the, the the film centers around two brothers, um, Wayne Turner and his younger brother, who, whose nickname was Kanye Turner. Um, you know, Wayne two national champ. I mean, Wayne's like a legend at Kentucky. He won two national championships. Played for the Celtics. And he played overseas for many years, Belgium, Australia, New Zealand, um, around the world. And the younger brother, who was around my age, um, he was a year older than me, he was, um, you know, a phenom, unbelievable player. And, you know, he ended up going to prison, and he never – he, who had probably more natural talent than his brother, never got to play um, at the high level of, of competitive basketball like Wayne but, um, yeah, me and him played together on some all-star teams when we were younger. And we were teammates, actually, when we were, like, 16. Um, and, you know, we hadn't seen each other. I mean, you know, I think he went to prison for the first time when he was 17. And, you know, we played together in a summer league when we were 16, and we really had this great connection on the court. You know, I was a starting point guard. He was the off guard. And he was just, I mean, it was amazing watching this kid play. He was just, he was scary talented. And, um we um, totally lost touch. I didn't hear from him for – I actually would think about him every now and then, you know, and I'd heard that he had been in prison and heard that, you know, this, that, or the other thing, and I would definitely think about him. And, you know, it's actually ironic, and me and him talked about this many times, that when we knew each other when we were 16, we always kind of knew that we were going to do something great together. We didn't know what it was, but I, I, we, we had this premonition because, like, we had this really kind of really good connection. And I can always remember thinking, like, I don't know how this kid's going to end up back in my life, but I, I always knew he was. And then randomly, he contacted me on Facebook, like, you know, 15 years later. And we got talking, and, and you know, I, and, and that's just at the time when I was ready to start to, you know, do something along the lines of, of, of a film. And, um, and I was kind of like, it, it, it was like a sudden flash of light. You know what I mean? It was like, boom. You know, this is a story I want to tell. And then... You know, the story initially was just going to be about the brothers. And as I began reading and as I began um, kind of, um, you know, understanding public housing and understanding Mission Hill specifically, I realized the story was, was way bigger than them. Um, they, they still figure to be a fairly important part of the film, but it's no longer just about them. It's, it's, it's about the overall development of Mission Hill as a neighborhood, um, as in the context of basketball, and the end of the film deals with Mission Hill in its current form, um, juxtaposed against how it was in the, let's say, the 70s or 80s. So, so the actual project became a character in the film. Absolutely. Oh, there's no question about it. Yeah, there's no question about it that that Mission Hill as a project. I mean, you know, you think about. It, I mean, you went to Mission Grammar School, so I'm imagining you went to you went to school with a lot of kids from the projects. I mean. Just, I mean, well, I went to, actually, I went to the high school, which was pretty okay. uh, selective. Okay, so I mean, we were pretty, um, you know, it was run by there, the Zavarian Brothers. It cost probably. money to go there. So, but you're right. I mean, yeah. I drove right by the projects every single morning. And 
and, yes, yes. You know, knew what was going on. In fact, I came from the part of Roxbury. I used to tease the kids in Mission Hill, the white kids in Mission Hill, that, you know, it was like going away for a vacation because just two miles where I lived in Dudley Street, you know, it was a totally different world. And yeah, as yeah, yeah. was... And as was Mission Projects, was totally separate from the Hill. The Hill was white and predominantly white, and the, yep. the, the projects were predominantly black. Well, the, the projects were predominantly black, black, but that wasn't until the late 60s, early 70s. When they were first right. built in 1941, the projects were built in 1941 as a result of the 1937 Housing Act. Well, they, they were completed in 1941. That's when people moved in there. They, they were built... Um, I think the construction started in 39, um, but they, it was 99% white, or it was 100% white, really, when it first, right. you know, when it was first built, and by the late 60s, it had become 99% black. So there right. was a transition, a slow transition over a, you know, 30-year period from a white project comprised of working families, of families with solid structure, of, um, you know, where kids went to Mission High and kids went to college and kids you know, tried to better themselves. Um, and then it right, they had a work ethic. It was a, more of a conventional work ethic that we're used to. Oh, I mean, well, in basketball, well, that, I mean, I just want to interject, basketball was always big on the hill. I mean, Mission High had, actually, they won a Class A championship. I mean, you're talking a school with only four, 400 kids. So the white kids even had set the, you know, set the bar. Uh, in terms of picking there, basketball. There's no question about that. Well, see, you know, ba- basketball in the 1940s wasn't associated with black culture. See, right. basketball was, when, when basketball was first invented in the early um, 20th century by, by, by James Naismith in Springfield, basketball became most popular amongst immigrant families, Italian, Irish, and, and actually it became most popular in Jewish communities in New York City. I mean, these, this is where the real basketball talent was in the first half of the 20th century was in, you know, Jewish settlement houses. And it wasn't until after World War II when you had this massive movement of black families from the South that resettled mm-hmm. in the, the urban North in places like Mission Hill and places like Harlem and places like, you know, Detroit, Chicago. That is when basketball, you started to see basketball by the 1970s be like a black game. It, it, it became a black playground game. So right. you're absolutely right. In the 1940s and 50s in Mission Hill, when Mission Hill was, you know, predominantly Irish, in the project, basketball was a, a, a absolutely there, you know, because basketball yep. hadn't really been identified at that point with the African-American community. It was still, it was still you know, kind of, um, you wouldn't say a white game, but it was more associated um, with, you know, immigrant families, like the Irish, like the Italian, right. like Jewish families. Yeah, in the same way that boxing, you know, it was, you know, the J- Jewish boxers and the Italian and then the, the Irish, et cetera. It was, you know, that yep. rite of passage for every immigrant yeah. uh, wave. Absolutely. So Absolutely. What, now, what, what made, so here you have this pocket of, I don't know, what, what was the population in that, uh, in the demographic in that 1,000, 2,000, 3,000? Oh, no, it was, it was higher than that. I, I, I think with both projects combined, um, Mission, uh, Mission Made and Mission Extension, which is, you know, essentially divided by Parker Street, I think it was a population of around 8,000. That was the total. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And that kind of concentration, that's, 
Wow, oh, that's scary as well yeah. as amazing. Yeah. I mean, that kind of congestion is uh, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. so what do you feel, I mean, it was a question that came to my mind. You mentioned already New York, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, what place would Mission Hill, I mean, how do they rank in your mind or from the research you did, how do they rank in contrast to other cities and other housing projects across the country? Well, I mean, I, I think the projects just structurally in New York City are, are you know, like, let's say St. Louis with the Pruitt Igo Homes or in Chicago with Cabrini Green. I mean, these are, you know, 20 times the size of Mission Hill, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, Mission Hill compared to, like, you know, let's say, you know, one of the classic public housing projects in America is Cabrini Green in Chicago, which is no longer there. I mean, this is like, you know, 10 times 20. I mean, I don't even know how much bigger, but it's way bigger than Mission Hill. But, I mean, you know, I have not found one public housing project in America that has produced six NBA players, not one. Um, wow. So I, for its size, I don't think, you know, Steve Buckley, the, the columnist of the Herald, he, he comes in in the film towards, towards the end and gives kind of like the Mission Hill all-time starting five, and he, he says Wayne Turner, um, Randall Jackson, who was an NBA player, played at Florida State, Jimmy Walker, who was the number one pick in the 1967 NBA draft, King Gaskins, who was possibly the best player to ever come out of Mission Hill. He was like a first-team high school All-American in 1972, I think. Who ended up, actually, he has a really interesting story. He could have gone anywhere, but he ended up going to Holy Cross, which is a huge mistake, in my opinion, at least. Um, because, because Ronnie Perry, I think, who was a coach at Catholic Memorial, where he was, right. ended up going there, and he followed him there. And he ended up going for one year and then you know, got in some trouble and left. Him and the other guy was Ron Jackson, who was a great player at Providence, who was drafted by the Celtics. So, I mean, you put those five guys together, Jimmy Walker, Wayne Turner, Randall Jackson, Ron Jackson, King Gaskins, and you get a five from Cabrini Green or Pruitt Igo or Robert Taylor or any of these other projects, I mean, good luck. You know, I mean, good luck. That's fascinating. So what what do you think, I mean, that by itself, that statistic, I mean, speaks for itself, but... Okay, so what did you find underneath might have been the the chemistry, you know, the alchemy that created that, you know, that gold? I mean, what was it? Was it just, was well, it the I mean, grittiness? You know, well, let, let me just, okay, let me kind of give my take. Well, I'll let you talk, then I'll tell you what I think. I mean, well, first of all, I think that is an incredibly complex answer, and I don't think there's a simple answer to that. I think right. that there are numerous, I think there are numerous factors so for me to make right. kind of my, my own social analysis of that would, would just in and of itself fall short because it's such a complex thing. But I, I would say this, that the development of the basketball culture was, you could even say possibly unfortunately, it was also associated with the deteriorating social conditions. So it was kind right. of like, and, and this, of course, is a sad thing because, you know, you'd love to see the basketball develop in a normal, stable community, you know, which, which I think it could, just hypothetically. But um, actually, realistically, it didn't. It developed in a situation where um, the conditions economically, socially, politically were in a rapid freefall. And basketball became kind of like the savior. It became the one thing that no one could take away from you. And also, you know, let's just be honest. I mean, basketball is an extremely cheap sport. I mean, you don't need yep. things to play basketball where, you know, 
with baseball, with football, with hockey, I mean, you need equipment. You need yep. much more right. organization. I mean, basketball, you can go shoot by yourself. You can exactly. play by yourself. You can play one-on-one. You can play two-on-two. And I would also say, too, that basketball, um, much more so than – and I would all, the only other sport I would compare to basketball would be soccer – but much more so than football, baseball, and hockey, it allows for more creativity. You can be mm-hmm. more creative in basketball. You're allowed to be more creative in basketball. And, you know, one of the things, too, that became very obvious to me is that when basketball became associated in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, 80s, with inner-city playgrounds, when it became an African-American game that was played in cities on playgrounds, it is the exact same time where you start getting the between-the-legs dribble, the stutter step, the spin move, um, yep. fast break. You start getting all these unbelievably creative iterations of the game of basketball. I mean, basketball before that, you know, you, you watch Hoosiers. I mean, it's, it's kind of boring. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, you're it's right. still basketball. But, I mean, basketball, because of the bottom-up nature of basketball in places like Mission Hill and Harlem and – in, in, in the south side of Chicago, it became a creative expression. It became an art form, you know? And, and, and streetball legends like, let's say, Tiny Turner, he was more of an artist than a basketball player. I mean, this guy was right. like, a, like an artist on the court. So I think you, you, you combine those things together. Basketball is a creative pursuit. Basketball as an economically viable option for people with no money basketball as something that can be done with little or no organization you get um, and then you also have a, a community where basketball is exalted as kind of like the primary um, community building activity you have like you said the alchemy becomes very very apparent of why basketball became so important in Mission Hill and I think those are the main factors that I would kind of uh, attribute to basketball's growth, basketball success in the housing project of Mission Hill. And, you know, I just finished reading um, Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, David and Goliath. Yeah, great book. And you hit exactly on the, the main theme or thesis of that book, which is adversity creates brilliance. Absolutely. And, and, you and know, also, and, I think, too, I think, too, bottom up. See, you know, basketball today, it's not a playground game anymore. It is not a bottom-up game. Basketball today is controlled by AAU teams. It's controlled by sneaker companies. And this goes down to, like, you know, 10-year-old kids. I mean, it, it is unbelievable the reach, you know, what, what I would call the corporatization of basketball. I mean, basketball is a top-down game now. It is not a self-organized, you know, to – Use, use the term rhizomatic game. It, it is not a, it is not a, a decentered um, bottom-up phenomena at all. And, and that is what made basketball in America such a great thing. I mean, basketball today, it's a, it's a top-down, corporate-controlled wow. game where you do not have that adversity. It's not there anymore. It's just not there. And it's not just Boston. You know, it's just not Boston. Sure. It is. And, and also, too, basketball is not an urban game anymore. I mean, it is kind of, but, I mean, in 20 years it won't be. 
in 20 years, yeah, basketball right. will not will, will will not be an urban game. It, it is. Well, I think it's a reflection that is, too that of of everything's organized for kids today. I mean, there are there. Yeah, you know, when yeah, I grew up, I, I think that's a big mistake. I, I think that. Yep. I mean, I, I think that's a a big big mistake. I think um, you know some organization obviously is good. You know, there's no question about that. And, and there was some organization in Mission Hill. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a total free for all, but I I right. think that um, the total you know, rationalization and, and the administration of childhood life is, is horrible. I mean, you know, I mean, kids get to go out and be Absolutely. creative and learn how to play with each other. And, exactly. And, 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 and they can't do and anything. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, you're right. I mean, if, if a parent is always looking, if you've got a coach and if they do this and they tell you to run this way and pass the ball this way and everything else, what kind of, what, where, where is the room for the, the innate wisdom of the kid to flourish? Exactly. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I it's, totally. It's, it's, I mean, you so know, I can see funny, yeah, with the part I, I was, was going to add earlier. I, I think was it was that. My, go ahead. I, I was over my. No, I I was over my. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, that's all I did was play basketball. You know, and I was mm-hmm. remember I, I was I was over uh, my aunt and uncle's house for um for Thanksgiving, and they my cousin's house, and she has a a a, a young son who's like six, and he's a great little athlete, and it was really funny how. Um, they were saying they would poop in the driveway, and they were saying, you know, go out and shoot around. And he said, oh, it's too cold. I don't want to go out and shoot. And, and they pointed to me and my brother, and they were like, oh, and Brian and Adam, a little, it would be snowing six feet, and they go out and, and shovel the driveway. You know, kind of these things. And, you know, it was partly true, though. I don't, I don't know about the six feet of snow, but, I mean, it was partly true that, you know, when, when I was growing up, when it was snowing out, I would go out and I would shovel the driveway, and I would sit out there and shoot. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that that, you, you never see that now. I mean, you no. never, I mean, I don't even see kids playing outside anymore, you know? No, no that's amazing, it. Exactly. You know? There is no pickup yeah. game. There isn't that room for creativity. Like you said, that those those twists and turns and everything else. And one of the things I was going to mention, I mean, look at the Harlem Globetrotters, the amazing magic they were able to perform with the ball. Yeah. You know, and yeah, so... Yeah, incredible. And, and, these, you know, and so there is this adversity. But, you know, I was, what I was going to say, and I, where did you grow up, first of all? In Braintree. I grew up in Braintree. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, Boston itself, I mean, I, I grew up right in the center of it, you know, right in the toughest part of it. And yeah. that adversity, that grittiness is characteristic of Boston. I mean, you, you know, I, I, this had to be, we're a puritanical city. We were found by the Puritans and, pure, you know, banned in Boston. They said it's still an uptight, you know, that culture, that consciousness. Yeah. Still, still permeates to this day, but Absolutely. along with that, also, I mean, you had revolutionaries. Absolutely. I mean, this is where it all started. You mean, you know, people yeah. said, "Hey, we're not going to take it." You know, the whatever and, and the characteristics. Go ahead. It all started in Braintree, actually. You know, give, give a little shout out to John Adams and uh, John Hancock. You know, yeah, so yeah, you're right. So, yeah, Quincy, you, right. yeah, Quincy Braintree. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And. Uh, and so that that level of consciousness, I mean, we saw that, you know, we had that situation with the uh, the bombings, and you just saw <laughs> Steve, uh, oh, i got to forget his name now, the comedian slash uh, uh, political. No, no, no not, not a local guy, um, okay. uh, national guy. He was on, and Kai Tal, no, uh, he said. Oh, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert, Colbert. yes, thank you. Yeah. Said, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. The videos going on. <laughs> you don't pick on Boston. You know those people yeah, are crazy. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, true. I saw that too. So I think that that grittiness 
um, is a characteristic of Boston itself that there is, I found it myself when I got into the corporate world and was dealing with mostly New Yorkers, and we'd always heard, you know, and certainly Brooklyn and the Bronx and all of those are tough, tough neighborhoods, but I couldn't believe some of the, the naivete of those guys when they would pull things on me, you, you know, from the, from the way, I mean, it was warfare. Every single day yeah. was, I mean, I think, you, did you encounter this when you were doing the film? This, this sense uh, of, no, it wasn't I, not only dealing with drugs and everything else, but there was warfare. There were little gangs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't personally encounter it because it's not really there in the city anymore, you know, but I, I right. certainly heard stories about it, you know, and, and certainly, you know, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in the 90s, basically, you know, that's, that, that's when I was in junior high and in high school, and, and um, you know, so that was, you know, the, the 90s, see, the city today, when you think of the American city today, when you think of Boston, you know, the things that come to mind today, you know, 2013 is a place of, you know, finance, it's a place of culture, it's a place of privilege, it's a place of, you know, energy, it's a place of all these things. I mean, 30 years ago, and, and even to an extent, when I was a little kid, when I thought of the city, I thought of a place of scary, um, oh, absolutely. You know, crime, um, yep. you know, not a place of privilege, a, a place of poverty, a place for poor absolutely. people, absolutely. you know. So I think there's a major reversal in the actual dynamic of what a city is, you know, and that is oh, that, without a doubt. I mean, nobody, that, you know, I went through that in the fifties and sixties. Nobody of any of any kind of economic uh, status or money. They they moved to Braintree, you know. That exactly. no, that, you know, yeah. you they didn't live in the then, city. They, nobody they lived in the inner city except the poor people. And then they moved to and then they moved to Cohasset, or you know, yeah, but yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, so, I, yeah, the city was dead. I mean, it was truly dead. It was a place where people yeah. worked and then went home. I mean, the, you know, the, the American city in places like Boston kind of hit a high point right at the end of World War II. I mean, you know, the population of the city of Boston in 1950 was about 800,000, which is bigger wow. than today, you know? Yep. And then by 1980, yep. it was um, 460,000, I think. It was yep. under 500,000. Yep. So it basically divided in half, and the Turner brothers were born, like I said, in 76 and 78, respectively. So they were born in the low point of the city. I mean, they were born right. when, the, when the American city in Boston was at its lowest point, when the, right. the, the forces of deindustrialization, depopulation, the city had cleared out all the people, yep. like you said, people had money, they moved... You know, yep. if you're Irish, you moved to Braintree, if you're Italian, you moved to Stoneham or, or Revere yep. or whatever. And, and you left the city, and what was left were people like the Turner family. They, they exactly. were left. And they had to make yep. do with what they had, and basketball was one of the things they had, hence this, this unbelievable basketball culture that was developed in places like Mission Hill. And, and even, like, you know, I, you know, my brother went to Catholic Memorial, so we, we, I had a lot of, I was friendly with a lot of kids in South Boston growing up that my brother was friends with. And, you know, hockey in South Boston, same thing. Hockey's gone oh, in South Boston. Now, huge, you know? huge. I mean, and hockey had, I mean, you, you could make a, a film about hockey in South Boston or hockey in Charlestown the exact same way you're making a film about basketball in Mission Hill. It's the exact same exactly. thing. Great NHL players, half of them became addicted to drugs, went to prison. It's the same yep. thing. And, and if you look at South Boston now or you look at Charlestown now, 
these are these are these are places of privilege. These are no longer oh, places oh, oh, where where oh, where working oh, where working families oh. raise families and they they play sports and they go out and hang out in the corner and they and they do these things. And I think that I think that the the, the basketball culture in Mission Hill, the hockey culture in Selfie, has has been um, as a result um, been destroyed. They're gone. You know. Oh, and, absolutely. And I, you know, my, again, my dad's from South Boston. My dad was uh, was born in the Old Colony Project, so I, I have family in South Boston. And, uh, you know, even though I grew up in Braintree, and Braintree is in, you know, I, I wouldn't characterize Braintree as a place like Hingham or Cohasset. Oh, Braintree still exactly, has, definitely right. has working, Braintree definitely still has some working class roots, although even Braintree now is kind of losing that as well. Um, I think that, um, that that's a problem, and I, I think that a lot of people are angry about that. But I think a lot of people don't know what to do about it, you know. And I, and I think that one of the things they're doing, at least in Braintree that I'm aware of, is they're organizing even more. Is they're like, you know, and I think yep. that's the wrong thing to do. I think the right thing to do is. Is, is send your kid down the park and say, get a ball and go play. You know what I mean? Right. But the problem with that is there aren't enough families doing that. So when the kid goes down the right. park, he's by himself and he doesn't want to do it. So it's, it's problematic everywhere you look. Um, yep. And I think what you, I mean, what you need is you need good leadership. You 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 need kind of like someone or a group to come together to kind of you know figure this thing out because it is you know you you, you think about the trajectory of the American city and you think about where things are going. You know, like let, let's take South Boston for example. You know, South Boston's not there's not going to be any kids there in 20 years. I mean, they're not there. I mean, there, there, there are you some see a kid, there are dogs, dogs who yeah. plays kids. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny. I was just driving down. <coughs> my my next film was about a boxer from South Boston. We were just there, and I'm driving down Broadway, and I'm looking around. There's like seven doggy daycares and seven oh, doggy. Oh, and I'm, oh, oh. It, 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 it's it's amazing, and and yeah. So I mean, there are kids there now, but I mean, I think that in 20 years they're going to be gone, and I think that yeah. Well, you have to. I'm me, I live here. You have to look for a kid today. You really yeah. have to look hard for a kid here today. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the whole place has become yucked out. Listen, I'm so glad. We're, they're going to shut us off here in like two minutes. Okay. I'm glad that we got as far down. This is a fascinating, um, fascinating interview and a fascinating show. I mean, we've only covered, as I predicted, this is just the beginning, I hope, of many of these because I want to start asking you about, what was the contrast between the brothers? Why did one make, what were the ingredients that made one choose success and the other one get into trouble? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. You, so you, will you come back and continue? I, I'd love to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. This, no, this, this is, is a good one. This is really, yeah. really fun. And, um, I know this will draw, as I told you, I, <laughs> I, uh, was riding my bike one day and ran into a guy, um, his name is, uh, well, he, his pen name is Haskell Robinson, and he wrote about the Hill um, as opposed to the projects. But two of my best buddies, um, a couple of black guys who I met, I mean, these freak, freak, freaky things, occurrences that happen, I met, didn't meet until I was in my 50s. I met him on Martha's Vineyard, of all places, while we were fishing but ran parallel lives to me, and I know they would love, they they actually lived in the projects during the 60s. Yeah. I know they would love to jump in on this. And uh, I guess the name of the guy that this Haskell uh, Robinson uh, hung out with was this guy named David Thompson. Did you come across that name at all? Uh, 
No, I didn't come across that name. Yeah, he played for the Celtics for about four games, I guess, but he he fell off because of uh, addiction. He, he was from Michigan you know, now. Yeah, he grew up in the projects. Yeah. David Thompson. Hmm. Yeah, All right. he was. Yeah, so he was like in the '60s. I'll just uh, Google that 60s. name. He, he, yeah, he was so a black guy. Might want to check that out. Black guy or white guy? Black guy. All right, I'll I'll check that out. I I didn't know. That. I mean, you know, you you wouldn't believe like you, you, I mean, I've been doing this. I've been I've been making this film for almost a year now. And you you hear names. Like, oh, you don't know this guy. You know, sleepy, jumpy. You know, you have all, all these nicknames <laughs> for people. It's like he was the best. No, he was the best. No, he was. You know what I mean? So it's like. It's just I hear a new name every week of of, of who was the best street ball player. Well, that's just ads. I mean, you just added another one because yeah, he actually exactly. did get signed by the Celtics. Yeah, I'll have to. Go, you know, it's funny. I never heard that name before, but I will. Yeah, Google, I just I, will check I, it fact, out I called Fran, I called Franny just before doing this uh, this interview. Listen, I had a blast. I hope you did. I I, I can't wait Absolutely. to get to the great. next call on this one. Yeah, that sounds good, man. Okay, thank you for and having I me. And I think, uh, okay. who knows, you know, these things can be texted out. You know, we could have a book here. 